warning, you only have four days left to back a cool Kickstarter. Yeah, which is which is true almost all the time <laughs> in the world of Kickstarters. But rather get, than giving your money to that potato salad fuck, oh, you should God. give your money. I, okay. I hate him so much. <laughs> this ad spot's going to run 15 minutes now, Gary. Way <laughs> 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 to work, the, work that asshole in anyway. Somebody who is not an asshole, though, segue, 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 is uh, Pete Ellison who you can find at www.heyitspete.com. He is running a Kickstarter um, to produce a series of shirts for the summer. And uh, you can also just check out kind of the rest of his stuff there because it is all great, super cute, super thick lines, and just kind of a a big, soft, adorable aesthetic that is kind of retro and uh, uh, bold at the same time. Yeah. The the, the, the spirit can be taken many different ways but it looks like tag art like graffiti kind of kind of thing i could see this being in a stencil um and calling these shirts for summer is very appropriate because they are quite colorful in fact if i were capable of wearing it i would grab one of these uh, bright blue ones yeah cole Cole can't wear colored clothing but were that possible (laughs) you would get one of these shirts the um yeah they're really nice and the stuff for the kickstarter is really great you know we wanted them to make that but uh in addition just the rest of the stuff on the site is really cool Mm -hmm. um there are some other prizes too you can get some postcards and stickers and pins and the like and uh, he does it all himself he has his home studio he does all the screen printing and they're high quality shirts like they feel good it doesn't feel like a big uh plastic you know patch on your just suffering from summer sweat chest (laughs) from having this patch um so, yeah, it, definitely check that out. Um, we have super long Kickstarter URL, but if you just go to uh, www.heyitspete.com or uh, find him on Facebook or Twitter at uh, Pete Has a Beard, you can find the relevant information there. You only have four days, so jump on it. Some of our landings were desperate adventures. We are now prepared to meet the inevitable counterattacks with power and with confidence. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to a very strange Bonfireside Chat appendix, uh, Cursed Second Favorite. Yeah, where we are reading your responses to the Shaded Woods. Uh, We call this very strange because we are recording this before the rest of the episode. Yep, scheduling goofs. Yeah. And spoofs. (laughs) But that's okay. And it's going to be, we're going to be informed by your wonderful thoughts. And uh, you guys came out in force, which is great. Um. So, yeah, I'm pretty much ready to get ready to get started. As am I. So, as always, we're going to begin with our follow-up and errata section. Yeah, I'll just go ahead and get us started with Josh, who says via contact. In the most recent appendix, you guys lamented saying sconce so much, <laughs> but couldn't come up with another word. Pet entry to the rescue. Sconces are, sconces are actually wall lighting, specifically. The things you light all over Drang Lake are braziers, uh, containers of coal or other fu- fuel, which can be situated on the ground or hung from the ceiling and are used for heat or light. Or so for frying really, food in a Dairy Queen. <laughs> yeah, 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 or for going to porn sites. That, that's a different different thing. The, the um, That doesn't help, though, because then we would have just kept saying braziers and not having <laughs> yeah. a not had a synonym for that. Uh, Torchiers, maybe? Torchiers? Yeah, Torchiers. That's a, that's another that is a thing. Oh. Yeah. Um yeah. menorahs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are those are those are very specific. Yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. I don't I would never be prejudiced against somebody in their ethnic holidays with their 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 Jewish uh braziers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just picturing yarmulkes. 
Yeah, we like your armicles just... uh, over your your boobles. Yeah, yeah, over your boobulas. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah boobula. <laughs> wow, this is getting <laughs> this is getting dangerously insensitive. So I'm going to uh, do yeah. So we we would have said the same word because that is the only episode where that comes up. So yeah. it would have been all brassiers all the time. Also, before somebody sends us a note next time, I realize that it's Yamaka, not Yarmuckle. I just think it's funnier to say Yarmuckle. Yeah. So, is, uh, is there a word that has a bigger golf between how it's spelled and how it's pronounced? I, I mean, probably not. None comes to you know what? Probably not. You're it's right. pretty intense. <laughs> it's, huh? February. Yeah. If you say it weird, <laughs> I guess yeah. any word if you say it weird. That's that's, mm. that's true. Yeah, you can pronounce yeah. things however you like. <laughs> Uh, all the world is a stage. Uh, <laughs> as such, we are reading a response from Paolo via the contact form. He says, you joked about chess being dead, dead mimics. The way to distinguish a mimic from a real chest in Dark Souls 2 is locks. Real chests are bare. Mimics have locks on the front. Um, hmm. In Black Gulch, there's a wooden chest in a small cave sitting in a pool of oil. And that chest has a lock on it. Maybe this was a mimic who chose the worst possible hunting spot and really starved to death. Yeah, poor guy. Yeah, I had no idea. I didn't know that. I didn't know that the locks were the dis- the distinguishing mark. I think I read that and then continuously forgot it. Yeah, like I, I'm, I'm getting that sense where I've played through Dark Souls two enough now to where I just have my mimic sense mm-hmm. on. But like, I feel like I read that early on and then just never thought to check, mm-hmm. and still you know got mimicked a couple times. Yeah. Uh, so. so we had what chain chain goes in danger within, uh, something like uh, that. Yeah, cha- change. Um, chain chain goes in. Treasure within. Ch- chain, chain goes, goes out, out. Better, better watch, watch out. out. Yeah. See a lock, you'll get a shock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something Lo- like that. Lock is free. Treasure for me. <laughs> yeah. There we go. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So th- thank you. Uh, uh, Luxury Wall. Our uh, our big. We're big fans of that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, definitely ch- recommend checking out his Tumblr to see all the data mining possibilities inherent in the souls universe uh he says um regarding ranking up in the brotherhood of blood covenant jeremy wrote in and mentioned that arena and invasions are counted separately though i haven't done testing on ranking up i know others have and the consensus seems to be that only the arena matches are counted so it seems likely that invasions don't contribute at all towards ranking up i agree with jeremy's point though it can be frustrating to rank up in the covenant and it's part of a larger issue where the role of PB, PvP in the game doesn't feel as carefully considered as it could have been. I never took notice of the aura on the Great Sword Phantom. That's pretty cool. Yeah. He's talking about the one uh, right outside of the chariot. Yeah, uh, and alluding to the fact that brother that Blood Bros they uh, the, their aura upgrades as they go through the yeah, covenant, which is pretty yeah. cool. I like. I wish that would happen with uh, Sun Bros too. Actually, oh yeah, I wish that like, happened all the covenants. Like if there yeah. was a, just a way to tell. Mm-hmm. It's interesting when you say, like, the PvP wasn't as considered because there are ways in which it feels very considered. Like, mm-hmm. we, we were praising the Rap Rose. Like, that's very imaginative and neat to me as a PvP yeah. concept. Yeah. But I think that maybe the straight-up kind of arena fight stuff could have used a little bit more. Yeah. But really, I mean, how much does the ranking affect you unless you're just kind of trying to collect everything? I don't know. I mean, if, you know, uh, I, I haven't looked at the rewards, but there's probably some sort of spell or gear uh, that you get, you know, for a particular build. But again, that that kind of is in the same neighborhood as wanting to collect everything. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to dismiss that completely, but like mm-hmm. the the actual fighting seems to work. I've never wanted for a fight mm-hmm. as a blood brother. You know, I can always just go and get a fight with almost zero weight. Yeah. You know, so in that way, it kind of works. But I understand the the mm-hmm. point as well. 
Uh, Jacob Overbo via Facebook says, I've been listening to your show for a while and I've yet to hear about gaining humanity via soapstones. Whenever I am hollow or low on spells, I drop a small soapstone. After fulfilling your stone mission, you gain a full humanity and all spells. This is a huge boon when fighting my way to a boss fog door. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw this on, on Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we just haven't talked about it because, I mean, I can't speak for you necessarily, but like, one, I haven't done tons of, of PvP and, and co-op stuff. I've done some, but not, you know, I'm, I'm kind of saving it, I guess. Yeah. And two, like, I haven't needed to that much mm-hmm. to, like, get the recharge. Yeah. You know, um, I suppose I could do it for Whipfest, but then I had to wait around to get summoned. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that requires editing and obnoxiousness. So mm-hmm. getting the, my you know, gear repaired would be useful, but not, you know, get a little bit impractical. Yeah. There's also the idea that, uh, at least when I played through it, this wasn't a thing. When I was oh, hurting yeah. for uh, hu- human effigies, um, this was just something that just happened randomly uh, for a lot of people. And uh, it was only introduced in a patch that it happened every time. And yeah. I've actually been doing a lot of co-op with uh, my PC character build, getting ready for the DLC. Um, it also hexing it up so I can finally uh, beat the Dark Lurker. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so I'm trying to save my, uh, save my human effigies and just, yeah, I'll just park outside of the lost sinners place and give somebody some help or, yeah. you know, et cetera. And that is, uh, that is a great way to, uh, to get your, you know, to get your skin back. Yeah. I can, I mean, I can't wait for you to fight dark Lurker. Yeah. That's I'm excited great. too. I just, I just, uh, man, that was a wall. I just ran straight out of human effigies on my first yeah. guy. Cause I made a lot of very bad choices. Yeah, so. well, it's it's. I mean, that's the same thing with uh, humanity and Dark Souls One. Like, mm-hmm. eventually, you, they just become a non-issue yep. because you just get better at the game. Yep. But uh, it takes a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So thank you, Jacob. Um, Ryan says via contact. Uh, Dark Fog was not a pyromancy in Dark Souls One. It was a sorcery and found behind the really troublesome troublesome wall of corrupted Lysial citizens in the chasm of the abyss. Also, while not really a correction. The correlation I found between catalyst type when it comes to hexes is staff-based hexes are typically corruptions of sorceries, while chime-based hexes are corruptions of miracles. All the Dark Souls 1 dark sorceries cast from the staff in Dark Souls 2. Thematically, it could be argued that anything that deals directly with the manipulation of souls or seems particularly abhorrent to cast is from chimes. Life Drain Patch, Resonant Soul, and Profound Still all seem just a little bit off when compared to the staff-based hexes, which are generally dark versions of sorceries. Uh, Nothing to me seems particularly malevolent about the staff-based hexes, just that they are twisted versions of what a sorcery might be. They are generally punchier uh, hexes, dealing directly with the corporeal and not interfering with something's innate essence. Uh, Chime hexes, when seen in an in-universe context, seem as though they are created with malevolence in mind. Light Drain Patch sucks the life out of everything it touches, the caster and his allies included. Resonant Soul essentially takes the caster's own life force to cast and deals an appropriately larger amount of damage for the trouble. Darkstorm and Scraps of Life seem to be summoning dead souls, or maybe humanity itself, from the abyss to assault the opponent. Profound Still silences everything around you, the description implying that it does so by invading the target's mind and not just robbing their speech. Profound Still's description is even more interesting because it almost certainly references Havel. He despised magic and was, of course, a jealous and humiliated, ostracized cleric. It makes sense that he would create a spell like this to prevent all the magic around him, and in doing so, may have been the progenitor of dark miracles. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. I'll, like, I'll, I'll buy that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very well thought out. In fact, I yeah. got this, and I was like, shit, yeah, this guy has my theory. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, good. Yeah. Great stuff. And I like, I like the idea that hexes are not their own thing. It's all just a bunch of stuff that was outlawed. 
you know? Yeah. And like, as such, that that is why it's a convergence between these two things. It's the cast off and the forbidden and kind of the apocrypha of every different discipline. Right. Yeah. 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 Great. And, and I guess when we said a uh, dark fog was a pyromancy and dark souls one, we might've been, um, cause I think I was referencing or what I meant to reference. I, you know, I, don't think I necessarily said this or you wouldn't have corrected me. But uh, the the kind of equivalent is more the toxic cloud and poison cloud Yeah, yeah. in Dark Souls 1. And that's what I actually think I was referencing. Mm-hmm. Um, Dark Fog as a spell, um, you know, my, my horrible admission for somebody who loves Dark Diving mm-hmm. is I haven't spent very much time with Dark Sorceries and Dark Souls 1 just because they put so much of the game between you and them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But yeah, yeah. awesome. That, that's great thinking. Yeah. So. Fantastic. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the actual shaded wood res- woods responses, I'm going to do uh, two in a row here because one mm-hmm. of them is very short. Gustavo, our boatbound friend, um, <laughs> writes in via the contact form and says, "I'll keep it short this week. Fuck shaded woods. Fuck shaded ruins. And if I see that scorpionus Naja again, <laughs> Nashka again, Nashka again, it'll be too soon." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that actually starts off. I think this might be one of the most divisive areas. Uh, Interesting. Um, yeah. which is weird because it seems kind of like an unequivocal win. I mean, an equivocal win. Uh, unequivocal yeah, is a little bit strong. I think there's a lot to like about this area. Yeah, yeah. Um, even I look forward to talking about it with you when we actually <laughs> yes. do the episode. Oh. Um, <laughs> this is weird. Yeah. But uh, I figured we'd start off with that little salvo of F-bombs. But uh, <laughs> continuing with uh, your friend and mine, Dennis Furia, he writes in via the contact form and says, Fun fact, if you carry a torch into the foggy area, it will cause the invisible enemies to cast shadows when they're nearby. This is an awesome idea. But sadly, it seems to be uh, another place where From bailed on the torch as a meaningful part of the game. The shadows don't show up until enemies are right on top of you. Maybe that's different on PC? And you can easily see them from further away by just holding still, rendering the torch slash shadow mechanic a, a little more than a curiosity. Why does everyone in this area have the active camo from Halo? Um, this is all stuff that I would have talked about in the episode. <laughs> um, so it is weird, but um, it is better on PC. <laughs> so like using a torch in the shade, like they're easier to see in PC in general. Yep. But if you uh, if you use the torch, they're even easier and the shadows yep. are easier to see. Yeah, that crispness it really does account for a lot. I'm having a I'm having a great time uh, playing it on PC, um, and I'm not normally a person who fixates on um, graph, graphical crispness or uh, high frame rate. Me, yeah. me either, but it makes a huge difference in, mm-hmm. in this game. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it, it does. I mean, your point, like, it could have had more dramatic shadows if the lighting system had been more intact. But like, mm-hmm. this didn't seem like a, a a casualty of that. You know, the the light still casts shadows appropriately. What seems to have been more of a lighting casualty is kind of uh, casualty is upping the ambient lighting level in general. Yeah. In most areas. And this, you know, I imagine was fairly the same before and after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more about resolution and just being able to see crisply. Yeah. That, that's causing that. Yep. So, um, Chad says, by, thank you, Dennis. Um, Chad says by contact, Scorpioness Najka was one of those bosses that really annoyed the hell out of me. Rolling doesn't do much to alleviate her spell cast. So with much trial and error, I learned that learned a great way to avoid them is actually to sprint to the side. If you do that, the spells barely miss grazing your back. On a separate note, I have had a lot of trouble understanding the progression of areas in a way of lore significance. Any idea why a place like this would lead to the doors of Pharos? That's really bizarre. I thought about this, you know, on the way, just because that sequencing is always so important. And like to the last one, uh, if the doors of Pharos didn't seem so much older than the catastrophe at Seldora, I would say that they are there to protect 
everything else from the spiders, you know, like just the yeah. idea that you have kind of this lock and key kind of system. Um, but as it stands, you know, Doors of Pharaohs just kind of seems like Moria, you know? Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it could be, and, you know, this is where, it's the Doors of Pharaohs, but it's also seems like the homeland of, of the Gurm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's frustrating because uh, Seldora and the Shaded Woods makes tons of sense mm-hmm. next to each other. There's just this interstitial step, which I don't know if that's spacey waciness. Like, if you're literally teleporting to, to another area, that's unsatisfying, and nobody likes that. But, like, you know, there is evidence to, for things being kind of zip-zapped around. Mm-hmm. in dark souls too um but other than that i can't really come up with a connection yeah so i mean the idea that seldor is a mine and uh the germ are the dwarven people right just the idea that uh you know they were set up there i don't know it just well, let's talk about it in the episode proper because they're just they're very different minds yeah like it's very different like ways that a mine can look like yeah you know right next to each other it's very strange like it mm-hmm. it doesn't make very much sense to me and that's a little bit frustrating to me yeah as well yeah um mm-hmm. let's see here kenny via contact says the shaded woods though extremely creepy to my fear of fog yeah i know it's strange is one of my favorite areas due to its inner branching paths and color contrast to the uh, huntsman's cops the false freedom i felt uh at first was overwhelming until i realized i couldn't pass through the shine of winter yet or that the king's ring door uh to the north was closed so i strolled off into the fog this is where, sadly, my Xbox died on me, so I replaced it with a PS3, eventually getting to the Shaded Woods uh, uh, on my PS3 playthrough and going on to finally beat the game. But this place will always hold a place in my heart uh, as the creepy, foggy, Xbox-killing Marsh of Despair. Mm-hmm. God. That, uh, mm. Mm, you always uh, you have a special place in your heart for when your Xbox 360 dies. Haven't had it happen yet. Probably because I've only turned it on like 70 times in its <laughs> lifespan. Yeah. Um boy, that uh it just every little hitch in the game after that in any game really will make you just cross your fingers and wait. It is it, yeah. it is very uh <sighs> sad. Good. Mm. Unfortunate. Um but yeah, thank you Kenny. Um CF Radical Tiger Lord uh, <laughs> says via contact. Uh, the Shaded Woods is one of the best pieces of survival horror in a video game. Although throughout Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 2 thus far, it's been ball-breakingly hard. You've always had, uh, always at least been able to rely on locking on and hiding behind a huge stability shield. Even in pitch darkness, Tomb of the Giants and the Gutter, this was still a perfectly viable defense strategy. But in the Shaded Woods, you walk into a bright fog in an un, uh, area of unknown vastness ahead of you, shield up, and as soon as the fog is fully closed around you, get backstabbed to death by an unseen enemy. The moans of the trees, the peering into the mist to look for just visible enemies, swinging wildly at the air, jumping at the shadows of your fellow adventurers battling through the fog in their old worlds. Um, the air of menace was so palpable that after three runs at it, my controller was too sweaty to hold. So I left and went to party with the Baneful Queen instead. <laughs> Ain't no party like that kind of party. No. Because at um, that party, you get poisoned. Indeed. <laughs> I hope that when we called uh, for responses for this, people didn't think we were just talking about the Shaded Woods and not the ruins as well. I don't know. Yeah, that would be if if that's true. If anyone is listening to this and they you know haven't uh, did, you know didn't consider responding to the area with all the Rasta lions mm-hmm. and have things to say about Rasta lions, yeah, let us know. Well, there there there's plenty about the about the uh, um, about the Rasta section lions? a little bit later. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So, 
Yeah. And also, <laughs> I guess when I called for that, I didn't draw a distinction between the two of them. It's all one big. I, I wouldn't have either. Shader. I think the yeah. whole thing is just called the Shaded Ruins. Mm-hmm. And that, but um, yeah, they, they, it has like a kind of real distinct areas. Yeah. So. So calling this out of survival horror is pretty interesting. Um, I definitely agree that it's the, 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 that it's spooky. Um, it's weird because this area does de-emphasize combat to a certain extent, right? Like fighting back is totally, uh, I mean, you can do it, but it's not the best option that you have. And kind of the idea that you can attack these uh, grony uh, Pocahontas tree hag things uh, to distract them, you know, as you go around and get and get what you need uh does place you know brain over brawn to this in a certain extent so yeah i could see i could definitely see applying a little bit of that to it yeah yeah i agree like i wouldn't i wouldn't call it one of the most survival horror areas in any game it's probably one of the most survival horror areas in a dark souls game yeah um yeah i i I love this area first i always thought that there'd be more to it and then when you kind of go through and despawn all of the ghosts and and explore it at your leisure like it's just it is just a meant to be a big disorienting Mm. maze like it actually kind of reminds me of the kind of like a lost wood situation from a zelda game almost just because of the fog and and the you know kind of losing your place yeah Yeah. i i really quickly happened upon the heuristic of just running around the edges oh yeah Um, and then just after i was confident that i cleared every everybody i went in and uh you know checked it out and you're right it is pretty scant in the middle yeah and there. there's stuff to find but it's hard to yeah hard to find and and, and worth it too like mm-hmm. you get really great items but yeah, yeah. I, I think it's pretty cool because i mean and i'll probably say this in the main episode too but uh it goes to show that you know both extreme light and extreme dark are uh bad for you like you yeah. know just because there's light here doesn't mean you're in the clear especially yeah. the you know the contrast between going from the gutter straight to here um yeah that, you know there there is something in that juxtaposition yeah, which, I mean, we we chose to do. Yeah. Like, you don't have to do that. The game didn't put those next to each other, but it was a good choice on our part. Yeah. Good job, us. Yay. Good job, us. Mm-hmm. Four months ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, moving on here to Luke via the contact forum. The shaded section of Dark Souls 2 was a standout for me during my first playthrough, primarily because it seemed like something from a different game entirely. Through the uh, Though the bountiful bonfires arguably do this for the whole game, the strict vignette-like structure set by the linear path and clear A, B, C branches in the Shaded Woods made it the most manageable uh, Souls level in memory. Then came the mercifully short fog section, and the area flipped entirely. For me, the Shaded Ruins was both the most convoluted and challenging area uh, in this section of the game. Those Thundercat wannabes were almost unbeatable for my level uh, and my build at the time. I could barely damage them, uh, and they took me down uh, in a few quick hits. This kind of stat-based difficulty is not something that I associate with the Souls games, and so they stood out to me. Their toughness was only exacerbated by the really weird layout of the level. It's never clear what direction you're supposed to be uh, going in uh, as forward leads to a cliff face and exploring opens up a number of initially promising but ultimately baffling hidden areas. Hopefully you guys have some stunning hypothesis about the lore here, but for me it's mostly padding. More cast-off creatures created by the Science Brothers, like everything else, though I've since developed a meta theory uh, that, uh, about which satisfies me, but I've ranted enough for one day. Um, I'm not sure if these areas feel unfinished or rushed to completion, but they definitely never felt of a piece with the larger picture, or even with themselves. Uh, they were just a string of pieces uh, stuck together thoughtlessly, which stands out against the usually holistic and macro scale level design of the series. I didn't hate these levels. It was worse than that. I forgot about them entirely, bar that lingering sense of bafflement. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. Like, I, there are things that about what you're, what you're saying that I do agree with. Like, it is um, segmented in a way that is unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's one of those just matter of taste things where a lot of the things that um, you're seeing as uh, strictly negatives, I kind of thought were kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the layout of this place, once you actually leave the ruins and kind of have all these different ways to go um, with these little corners and crannies and stuff that have stuff hidden in them, I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I mean, I was never going to not explore yeah. the game. So, you know, I was going to find, uh, the scorpioness path, mm-hmm. but, um, I ended up really liking that and the lions are hard, but in, I mean, I wonder if you're playing a caster because they're impossible for fucking casters. <laughs> like you don't, you don't do, you know, the strongest spells in the game do almost nothing to them, yeah. but even a caster, if you switch to like a dagger, you'll do okay. Like yeah. they're super vulnerable to backstabs and, mm-hmm. and riposte and stuff. So that's kind of what I think it's trying to teach you. And that, yeah, the uh, the, the, this is the those guys are the biggest stat wall I found since like two, 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 one, whatever it is, mm-hmm. with all those enemies just completely baffling. Um, and that serves a similar purpose too, um, teaching you to vary up your uh, you know, yeah, the types of damage that you're doing, right? Right, right, mm-hmm. right, right. I mean, at least that, that's how that's how I run it, yeah, you know. Um, and obviously, like everything in Dark Souls, if you want to, you can get past, you know, you don't have to fight anything. Right. Like you can get past them all too. Like I'm not mm-hmm. suggesting that as a way to play, but like mm-hmm. if you are playing, I'm going to do a run through where I only cast spells at some point and this area will be very little explored yeah. <laughs> uh, just because of that. Yeah. I wonder if the aimlessness of this area wouldn't be so pronounced if there weren't places that you had to use a frigor branch of your to get through. Because oh, there yeah. are some places where, you know, I, I see those and those have always been relevant and worth doing. And all of a sudden you have these, you know, five or six statues. Uh, it's more like three or four, I understand. But um, any one of those, you know, could seem like the way to go. And if you're using up your branch of yore and the one that gets you to Vengarl, it's like, well, okay. <laughs> but I could have gotten there the other way. Um, I wonder if because there's a cost associated with it, if, you know, if, if that's what's sticking it's up people's do you mean draw. Do you mean the one that gets you to... Um... Ornifex? No, no. Um, I, I'm talking about the one that's uh, down through uh, Tark's little hidey house. Oh, that's yeah. the one that gets you to Vengarl. Interesting. Yeah. I've never like gone to Vengarl from there. Yeah, it's just um, it, it's just a weird little circuitous. It doesn't give you that much of a benefit. Yeah, honestly, it's just a cliff that overlooks Vengarl's uh, little little grotto. Yeah, there, there's um there's a, a parallel there with the uh, Pharaoh's Lockstones too, where like. Yeah initially seem every one of them is important and then eventually they kind of devalue them in the same place too because we're coming up on the doors of pharaohs where that's the the predominant theme is you know lock stones are worthless <laughs> um not you're know, not quite but yeah similar to that yeah i don't know like it did like again just kind of didn't bug me that much mm-hmm. um the lions also are not science cast-offs um that's its own race of, of some kind mm-hmm. according to their equipment like we don't know very much about them but they are they are not experiments. No. So, um, but they, you know, the giant basilisk super experiment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which like, come on. Like you liked that at least. <laughs> yeah, please. Um, <laughs> if you're going to take anything away from this. Yeah. You know, at the, the very least you liked looking at the gigantic basilisk. <laughs> um, Jeff says by contact. When I first saw the foggy area, I said, not today, Dark Souls. <laughs> now is a good time to point out that I had gone straight from the forest of fallen giants to the lost Bastille to the shaded woods. I found the flexile sentry easy. Thinking it was surely impossible, impossible that the game really expected me to walk into that fog without some ring or spell or something to increase my visibility, I explored a couple of other spokes. After beating the rotten, I still had nothing to dispel the fog. 
So I finally decide it's time and I go into the forest. My Dark Souls experience tells me to keep my shield up and my eyes peeled. Needless to say, when something hits me, I spaz out and run hugging the right wall. I find a chest by the cliff and quickly open it. And to be honest, still hoping the item would be something that would make this unfair bullshit go away. I run along the skinny path up to the next chest, and that's when I get backstabbed and die. In short, I felt quite justified in avoiding it. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. weird. You, you, you get the old sun ring in that, uh, in that one chest here, and uh, that does seem like something that would make the fog go away. It almost, <laughs> just, yeah, it just almost by name. Like yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just I don't know if I qual- quantify this as unfair or call. No, it, it definitely didn't. Yeah, it didn't feel like unfair or bullshit to me. Yeah. So it's weird. It's so weird to record this without having actually <laughs> talked about things and come to a consensus. Yeah. It's so fucking weird. Yeah. But the, the um, yeah, like I, I don't I like this area. It's not you know it's not a favorite mm-hmm. of mine. Like it's not in my you know top three in the game. But I really like it. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So Josh Redding via Facebook says. Uh, so I came here before I found No Man's Wharf, which means that I fought a Flexile Sentry before it was cool to do so. Oh. Yeah. I think the biggest takeaway from these two zones is the audio. From the whisper of the trees in the misty forest to the horrifying chucklehead curse pots, the audio is really the star of these two areas. This is further borne out in the form of Man Scorpion Tark and the Ring of Whispers. I must admit, Tark and the accompanying boss came off as kind of weak design. It is basically a less creepy version of Quilog and the Fair Lady. Take a human upper body, melt it into a gross creature lower body, and uh, then succeed. I don't know. I didn't say that sentence right, but I'll continue. <laughs> However, Tark was saved by the lore implications he provides in regards to Seath and the cyclical nature of the world. Oh, and anyone who says they didn't have their blood turn cold and hearts start racing at the sight of that giant basilisk after the bonfire is a total liar. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, um, I'm thinking, did, is this is this a boss without a fog door? <laughs> like, there's so many. Like, I like how this picks up on. Like, even if if you know, in general, like some of the stuff felt a little janky to people. There's so many like just kind of neat things. Like, mm-hmm. the, you know, the forest whispering. That's so good. And when you yeah. hit the tree and it, you know, does that moan. Yeah. It helps. Or uh, man, the curse spots. Uh-huh. Like this, it's potential. This is not the first time you you've run into curse spots, mm-hmm. depending on what path you took, but. Um, I want to say that it was mine, and it's an entire forest of them. Yep. And they're so unsettling and great. Yeah. Like, and it's they're so used creepy. in such strategic ways. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like it's their placement like, is I, demonic. I feel like it's a really well designed level in that mm-hmm. respect. Like, yeah. I don't, you know, in a different way maybe than is typical for Dark Souls, where like the design comes from interconnectedness and mm-hmm. and everything. Like, this is more. Um, like similar to the, the spinning statues where like they kind of yeah. cover each other when mm-hmm. you're talking about that. And we'll, we'll talk about that at length in the, the shrine of Amana. Yeah. Um, but you know, dark souls two does a good job of like making things like designing things in that respect, yeah. like making things challenging in a way that requires a certain kind of approach. Yeah. And this is kind of like the shrine of Amana in that it definitely feels of its own thing. Like th- this, this feels like it, it belongs in a sequel to that game I played three years ago. Yeah, you know, it, it feels sequely in that it takes something that we're pretty familiar with and you know mess messes with it in a more kind of profound way than you would see in you know like going from Blight Town to the gutter. You know, yeah. like this is this is of its own of of its own device, right? Yeah, and that I think you know in combination with oh a moody place that does interesting things, sign me up. Yeah, <laughs> you know, make, yeah. makes this feel really successful to me. Yeah, it literally laughs at you. Yep. Like the whole the whole time you're there, like it's giggling at you, you mm-hmm. know, creepily. Like it is it is a horror kind of area. Yeah. 
um, which makes sense for you know the the proximity to Curse and the proximity to Saldora, which is a real nightmare town. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, Thomas Maglio says via contact, this is probably my favorite area in Dark Souls 2. I explored the mist-covered woods, terrified the whole way through. I kept expecting to find some quick-moving giant creature prowling after me, waiting for me to stumble across it when it was too late to defend myself. Instead, I found something way worse, a scattered battalion of ghosts that I could <laughs> hardly see. Who b- Scattered battalion, that's a nice... Yeah. Uh, of scattered, ghosts. Yeah, that's you, great. You, you left the good part off of that. Yeah, no, I'm just that. That's a nice poetry to that. A scattered yeah. battalion of ghosts that I could hardly see, who backstabbed me to death more times than I'd like to admit. Since then, I've had a wonderful time with would-be invaders in this area. Seed of a tree of giants, silver talisman, and sit back and watch the carnage. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. um, ben Garl is one of my favorite NPCs in the game. He gives you a rock and helmet, and it's just so funny to have this pensive head, once belonging to a beastly warrior, be just chipper as can be to you, give you a sweet gesture, and then send you on your way. Uh, Shaded Ruins is great. I literally laughed out loud when I saw the giant basilisk. It was my first time encountering my old Dark Souls 1 friends, and just as I was beginning to think they'd gone extinct in Drang Lake, I turned a corner and find Curse Frogzilla. <laughs> uh, Tark didn't do much for me, but I appreciated the name drop and his rather extreme measures of settling domestic disputes. <laughs> I, had totally, I had totally missed Ornifex on my first playthrough, but since finding her, she's become one of my favorite merchants, especially her bit uh, in a later area where she basically calls you out for being racist against bird people. <laughs> I wonder what she was doing locked up, and if her inclusion is about out as close a connection to Velka in this game as we're going to get. Uh, Scorpina, the Power Rangers villain, was a tough fight on my first playthrough, but has become trivial now that I know uh, the stone floor trick. I appreciate her tails being cuttable, but it's too bad that we didn't get a drop double scorpion, scorpion tails whip for, the, for whip fest. For example, crack. <laughs> and kind of stumble on the last sentence, but I know what you mean. Yeah. And I also, I miss tail weapons too. Yeah. You're right. I guess I didn't notice it until just now. Or like yeah. ma- make note of it. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't grieve it until just now. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, I, there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I like all those things. I like Ben Garl. I like the giant basilisk. Yeah. I like Tark. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the boss fight is okay. It's not my favorite thing in the world, but yeah. it's not bad. Like, this is a this is a whole spoke of weirdly underwhelming or just kind of like a couple degrees off boss fights. Between this yeah. guy and uh, and Freya and also uh, what is it the the congregation? Oh um, yeah, and Vanguard the Royal Rat <laughs> or uh, Authority the Royal Rat. Yeah, who comes through? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, even though like I think that that is more the congregation is definitely of this this ilk. Yeah. I think Freya is a little bit stronger mm-hmm. as a boss fight out of the out of the four. Yeah, that we're talking about, but yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. yeah, a lot of good stuff there. I'm going to round us out with uh, Chase Greenley. Uh, via contact, who says, Vengarl is my favorite NPC in Dark Souls 2. After wandering through the unsettling fog of, fog of the woods, I was happy to find such a chill character amongst the Invisinites and spooky, screaming trees. His backstory is straightforward, as best I can tell, and his gear may be my favorite set in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to, like, his his helmet makes him look like a kickboxer. It's like, Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Or like an it's American like, gladiator. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that's the more accurate version of it. <laughs> yeah. It's a uh, it's it's crazy, and I I want to I still want to dig in once we get to uh, once we get to Saldora about how his body ends up where it is. That's 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 a big question for me too. Yeah, and it's frustrating just because I mean he's a mercenary, so mm-hmm. he can be anywhere really, but that's yeah. not super satisfying. Right. So I mean that might be something that is answered in the uh, Saldora based oh. uh, DLC. Yeah, but we won't find out till September. <laughs> yeah. 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 But that could be that could something that that could be answered. With this, as well, I guess the doors of Pharaohs thing. 
Yeah. And again, we're you know we're really banking a lot on that DLC. And it, and I should clarify because we we said that a couple times in the last episode. Like, if the DLC does not answer those things, it's not going to ruin the game for me. It would just be nice to get a little bit more connective tissue. I think. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it it seems almost engineered to to give a deeper yeah, dive um, into into some of those things. I, I I'm almost more I'm more worried about them being scant in terms of in terms of you know size of the area. Like they, yeah. they, they like they set me up with uh, with Artorias of the Abyss to really to really go whole hog on this stuff. So I I was I, thinking about yeah I was thinking about that too and like what would be the minimum kind of area I would be satisfied with mm-hmm. like in like an area like this like the the shaded ruins shaded woods and then the the shaded forest mm-hmm. and a boss like I can handle that maybe a little bit bigger than that like over the three yeah you know. Um, not over the three, like that's the entire thing, but each one is about that big, mm-hmm. which would be end up being a little bit bigger than Artorias of the Abyss because Artoria of the Abyss, like Artorias of the Abyss, you know, the only the real meat of that is the Elysial. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Abyss is actually not that big, and the uh, the woods leading up to the Royal Woods is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, you know that's kind of got like one meaty area. Yeah. Well, like one meaty area and one good boss per would would do me, you know, from a gameplay perspective, I think. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So thank you, everybody, uh, for writing in about that. Um, again, this is kind of a similar situation where there were some responses that didn't get in. I am saving those. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're going to find something to do with those a little bit later on. Um, yeah. It, I mean, you know, depending on how much we have to kindle the bonfire. That um, That is exactly the thing I was going to talk with you yeah. about off air. So. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, we we will we will somehow stretch. I mean, obviously, we won't take a break. We'll figure something out. <laughs> yeah. Um. Between between this and and uh, Bloodborne, but yeah. it sounds like we just like got a huge medical bill. Uh, we're gonna make it work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh. Uh, so, uh, we wait. We wait and see. Hmm. Hmm. So yeah. Um. Do we want to wrap it up? Yeah. Let's let's wrap it up. Yeah. Um. So thank you again, uh, to Joseph for being on the show, for being on the, the first half. Really appreciate that. And if you have comments about um, the next area we're talking about, which is going to be the Doors of Pharos and uh, Seldora, um, you can contact us at duckfeed.tv forward slash contact yeah. or on our Facebook. Mm-hmm. Facebook.com forward slash duckfeed.tv. For sure. Um, forward if, slash bonfire side chat <laughs> if you would, is what I actually meant. Yeah. Well, forward slash duckfeed.tv does go to a place too. So. Oh. I didn't know that Duck TV had its own Facebook. Uh, yeah, I, I put one up on the Patreon, which you can go to at uh, patreon.com slash TV if you want to kick us a couple bucks a month, get some cool perks. Uh, we're coming up pretty quick on the next live uh, stream for anybody who donates at the $5 or above level. But anything you can give helps. Yeah, it is uh, it's super appreciated. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Additionally, if you would uh, uh, like to do us a huge favor, you can tell a friend if you are evangelizing for Dark Souls, especially as we're coming into the uh, the um, the DLC time. Um, also, say hey, there's this podcast that's a little companion piece to it. Check it out. Yeah, yeah. we would really appreciate that. Yeah, um, you can rate and review us on iTunes, mm-hmm. which w- is always appreciated. Um, find us on those social media outlets like Facebook and stuff. There's lively discussion going on there. Yeah. You can go to uh, Duckfeed TV and check out our other shows. Yeah. So if you like us talking about Dark Souls, there's a good chance you'll like us talking about other stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. I think that's about it. So um, we're going to do some deleted scenes and then be on our way. Umbasa. Umbasa. Um, I recently had opportunity to scratch a scratcher. 
mm-hmm. I was trying to think of what the minimum amount of money that would actually like produce an emotional response yeah. in me would be. And it's kind of surprisingly high. <laughs> like it just like, you know, like, oh, like enough to get dinner for me and Elizabeth or something like that. Let me need to be like 50 bucks. Yeah. 50 bucks would be where I would drive it at. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, cool. 50 bucks. Yeah. You know, but still not, like not enough to make the, you know, save the week. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I, my initial answer was going to be 20, but like that's right around my threshold for when I don't think about buying something. Yeah. And so it, uh, it's probably closer to 10 for that, but 20 isn't, yeah, 50. I think 50 is what it is. Yeah. Which I'd be is excited a, about 50 bucks. Yeah. Hmm. Not extremely, but like mildly, like, oh, cool. Yeah. You know? I remember, I want to say it was my, my scratch off card, but my dad bought it and it was just, you know, he let us scratch it because he bought scratchers. Got 150 bucks and we went to a summer fun day at a <sighs> water slide place. That is cool. now an abandoned, overgrown, kind of scary, spooky place. Love that shit. Yeah. It's built into the side of a hill. That sounds great. I love abandoned spaces. <laughs> okay. Cool. He says, fine with me. I'll be home right before 830. Okay. So. Thanks, man. Sorry about all this, uh, this yeah. you know, rigmarole. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. Hey, and so- yeah, we definitely appreciate Swing it on back. Yeah, and thank you, thank you for being flexible too. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. So he says he'll be on his motorcycle, uh, so it won't be too responsive. But I mean, eight thirty will be fine. But you know. Yeah. No. Eight thirty is fine. We don't yep. want to interrupt your motorcycling. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> um, rad. Yeah. Like the yeah. Um, yeah. We, we skyping on a motorcycle sounds like probably the most uh, <laughs> dangerous and noisy, noisy thing. Yeah. So, no matter how good the mic is. Yeah. This will cheer you up. <laughs> Did you know that H.R. Uh, Giger, noted maniac, uh, spent years and years and years trying to make a movie about a man in love with a sentient limb? <laughs> no. No, I did not. Are you reading a biography? Or? I know. Somebody just popped up in a, a thing. And there's all these sketches and stuff, too. I'll send it to you so you can put it in show notes. Um, but pretty amazing. <laughs> okay. Or I'll just put it in the show notes rather. Yeah. Um H. R. Geiger Limb. <laughs> um, is is that the name Limb? Uh no, no. It's the uh the mystery of San Gotardo. Oh of course it'd be inscrutable. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um so at least nineteen ninety four is when he first revealed that he had written the the screenplay. But he it began with his first ever sketch in nineteen sixty three. Hmm. Um, it is about a man and his love for a freak of nature, Armbienda, which is really a sentient limb combining an arm and a leg. It's the further development of a recurring image in my work in the last 30 years. The concept stems from a 1963 creation called The Beggar, Geiger's very first sketch featuring a leg and an arm holding a hat. Geiger has filled several sketchbooks with these stories of reduced beings. The story concerns a race of biomechanoids created by a military organization. The premise? Your arms and legs are slaves that do your bidding. But what if they had a mind of your own and were set free? Ink drawings depict the disembodied parts attacking their creator, Geiger's self-portrait, in the San Gotardo border tunnel, which links Switzerland and Italy. To ensure that his vision remains intact, Geiger hopes to retain creative control as producer on the film and not be for- forced to rely on CGI. <laughs> weirdo. Yeah. Biomechanoids. <laughs> That is such like a like a, like a like a early seventies sci fi. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't think I don't think you listen to Super Eco, but like their HR Giger is amazing. Huh. And when he died, they had a tweet where it's like, hopefully he's getting his brimstone boy jobs in bio bioorganic heaven hell. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's very funny to me. I get that phrase stuck in my head all the time. Bioorganic heaven hell or brimstone yep. boy jobs? Both. Getting your brimstone boy jobs in bioorganic heaven hell. Um, there's a He was on a, a podcast that Andy Daly did too, and he kept reading things a number of how many pulsating mood sacks they were. <laughs> like four out of five pulsating mood sacks. And he's talking about Legoland. And the only reason why it lost a mood sack is because all the bricks should be gray. Um, <laughs> You sound great. Do you do you go by um, Joseph, Joe, Jay? Jay, preferably. Mm-hmm. You got it. My mother calls me Joseph, but I still <laughs> respond to that every once in a while. Yeah. Well, I'll only do that if, if I'm mad at you during the <laughs> right, podcast. Right. Can, also, can we have your middle name? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is Joseph Ryan. Yeah. And that's so what my there, mom uses. There's some kind of lore conjecture I don't like. Joseph, now Joseph Ryan, are you, are you sure you think these lion Rastafarians are creations of... <laughs> Duke Seldora. <laughs> no, um, no, I feel like there's a power imbalance. I'm Cole yeah. Andrew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I wish I was one of those cool people that doesn't have a middle name. So when they have to sign in with their initials, they're X's. Ooh, um, that would be cool. 